0: Welcome to Unashamed Unafraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming into Christ for healing.
1: Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions, and share resources that actually work.
0: I'm your host, Stephen. And
1: I'm your co-host, Cassie. And we are Unashamed Unafraid.
0: Cassie, what's up? What's up, Stephen? Tell us who we have here with us today.
1: We have Amanda Onestead. And uh, she's another one of those connections that I made through She Recovery. And she is here representing um, women in recovery and also her amazing organization.
0: The Victory Collective.
1: The Victory Collective, for some reason, cannot stay in my mind, but it will after this episode forever.
0: Yes, and in the show notes. And um, what I want to name uh, is just like, sometimes I think like we're unashamed and then sometimes I meet some of these people recovering. And I'm like, dang, man, they got that look. Like when you catch <laughs> up. So, um, join us, uh, with Amanda, just an amazing story, truly unashamed, um, and so much hope and real recovery that has happened. So, yeah. um, a super cool story. Um, she recorded with us while being 26 weeks pregnant, Um, which I probably would not have done. Not that I've experienced pregnancy, but, um, and so uh, amazing episode. I hope you join us um, about just her experience and her recovery. I invite you to give us five stars on iTunes. That's how the world judges us. And uh, we get in the algorithms and can spread more hope. Um, If you'd like to join in on the bonus content and help support the movement, um, go to unashamedunafraid.com slash donate. Um, And if you are in need of help, we are a 501c3 nonprofit. And with that money, we create scholarships to send people the resources that we found really work for recovery. So if you are in need, you are worthy of it. Go to unashamedunafraid.com slash scholarships and apply for a scholarship today. And with that, we will get in the studio with Amanda. Amanda, how are you? Hi, I'm doing good. How are you? Doing great, um, and Good. Cassie and I just learned right before we hit record that you are twenty six weeks pregnant. I am. <laughs> so, uh, yep. congr- having... congratulations!
2: Thanks, having a little boy in June or July, not June. See, already baby brain. I told you. I warned you.
0: <laughs> and I don't. Do we want to tell the audience now that you're naming him Stephen? Or she yeah, at the end, obviously,
3: the
0: <laughs> so, um, so Jimmy, so tell us tell us where this story starts. So everyone can't see you here with us, but just like, there's this glowing happy about you. And I'm assuming that that's not how it always was,
2: no, yeah, absolutely not, <laughs> um, so yeah, my story with pornography began when I was thirteen. Um so I was a little girl and it's crazy to think about that now. But I was 13, I was in 8th grade and I found pornography on YouTube. Um it was a suggested YouTube video that popped up on the side and I clicked on it unknowingly and it immediately just stuck in my brain. And so I started just by watching it on YouTube, um but very quickly became desensitized to the content that I was able to find on YouTube. So I made the decision to Google the word porn and that opened up a whole other world for me. Um, And it was just immediately this wave of excitement and rebellion, but also I knew I shouldn't be watching it and it scared me a little bit and I didn't want my mom to watch, like walk in on me watching it or anything. So it was all sorts of emotions, um, but I continued watching pornography um, every day, sometimes multiple times a day for from eighth grade to freshman year of college. Mm-hmm. And during this entire time, um, I 110% believed I was the only girl in the world to watch porn fully convinced. And this came from just the fact that media really only addresses like in TV shows and stuff. Anytime they talk about porn, sure. it's in reference to men watching porn uh, within the church. Anytime the pastor's on stage, he would say, you know, men, if you struggle with porn or like women, if your husband's struggle with porn mm-hmm. and it would just shut me down and I was just it solidified what I believed was that I was the only girl in the world to watch porn. And it wasn't until freshman year of college um, after a worship night, I ended up texting my best friend Katie and telling her everything. And this is after years of me trying to break free from pornography, but not being able to and finally kind of getting to the point where I was like, I cannot do this alone Like, I cannot break free from this on my own. And I had even promised God in high school, like, this is between you and me. I'm not even telling my future husband. Like, if I'm going to break free from this, it's got to be between us. Like, no one else is involved. And it just kept going and going. And it got to the point where God was like, "Mm, you need people. So I texted Katie and told her everything. And I ended the text with, you know, I understand if you don't want to be my friend anymore. I understand if you look at me differently, but I just needed to, I needed to tell you. And she texted me back and said, I am literally crying right now because I'm in the exact same situation. And we had known each other since ninth grade. And her story also begins in eighth grade, like minded So the whole time we've been best friends, we had absolutely no idea that the other person was secretly battling a porn addiction. And so it was the first time that I realized other girls also struggled with it. And it was just the biggest weight was relieved off of my shoulders. And for the next, you know, all of our college years, we went to two different colleges, but we tried to keep each other accountable and you know, tried to, I was growing a lot in my faith at that point, had a lot of awesome people in my life just pouring into me. And over the next four years, uh, throughout college, I ended up telling 15 girls that I had struggled with porn and that these were small groups, friends, small group leaders.
0: You're getting a ton mentors. of silent claps from the team that no one. Oh, good. Hear, but, <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. It was not easy, but it was just, yeah, 12, 15 girls and out of those 15, 12 of them also struggled with porn in some capacity. And Katie was doing the same at her school, just telling different people. And so, she was getting so the same where experience. Where did you go to school? where
0: did you go to college?
2: Virginia Tech. Awesome. Go Hokies. Go Hokies. <laughs> <laughs> and so we were having these experiences and just talking to each other, like this is blowing our mind because for so many years, we thought we were the only girls in the whole world to struggle with porn. And now here's so many girls being like, wait, me too. And that's kind of where this idea started. We, we've always bonded over the verse, Esther four fourteen. it says, perhaps you were born for such a time as this. And that's kind of been like our friendship verse. And we just kind of felt like God put us in each other's lives to help other girls navigate their porn recovery journeys and to let them know that they're not alone because that was just debilitating shame for so many years. And I hate knowing that other girls are still walking through that. So nearing the end of college, we kind of like, we're brainstorming all these ideas for like, maybe we'll write a book or maybe we'll have a women's conference or something like some way to make it known that this is not just a man's issue, but girls are struggling with this as well.
0: And, and, and to help, to help paint you into context around that. Tell us how old you are now.
2: I am 27.
0: Okay. So, uh, freshman in college is what year on the calendar date?
2: 2014. So, so you're 20. So I went to school. Yeah. 2014. I graduated college in 2018.
0: Yeah, so, because uh, I just want to name, like, you're not talking about, like, in the 1980s, <laughs> right? Like, this is, like, right now.
2: Yeah. Oh, it literally is right now. So, uh, it wasn't until 2020 that we started this ministry called the Victory Collective. Um, So, it was still from the time I told Katie... To the time I stopped, like the last time I watched pornography, six years had gone by. So there was so much healing that happened within that time frame and so many awesome changes and challenges and people pouring into me and all of that stuff happened. This was, was a dense six years, <laughs> but um, it wasn't until October of 2020 that we just decided to start an Instagram page. And we called it the Victory Collective. And we started posting about our story, like started going public with it, um, making Instagram reels and super quickly, our videos just exploded and blew up. And we were receiving so many messages from girls being like, I, I thought I was alone. <laughs> like, thank you for posting about this. And now we have like a really awesome community of women who are just Helping each other kind of navigate this and we're able to share what we went through and all of the hardships that we overcame um, in order to pour into other girls. So that's kind of where we're at right now.
1: That's incredible. But yeah.
2: It's um so awesome
1: to hear like okay, so stats for millennial women um is one in three. Um, but I, I would say you're more of like the Gen Z. Um, I think, I think I'm still considered millennial. (laughs) Okay. I, I, you're like right on the cusp. (laughs) It's right on the cutoff. Yeah. Yeah. So for Gen Z and, um, Gen alpha, the rising generation, um, numbers are more like 67% of women. And I just feel like everything that you've said just reflects that. And it's like crazy. It's incredible.
2: Yeah. And I hear those statistics and like, I almost don't believe that it's that small a number. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because almost every person I've talked to and like hearing what younger girls like who are going through middle and high school right now are are facing. I'm like, I would venture to say like 98%. Like it is, I just can't believe that 67% sounds big, but like, to me, it sounds so small still. Yeah,
0: I totally, totally relate to that and get that. And um, so a question I wanted to ask you about, right, your story, you talked about a lot of people pouring into you. um, And one thing you talked about is being, you know, starting to get really open about your story. And so Mm -hmm. what was it at first that really propelled you to get open about your story? Because as you're talking about it, like, sounds like you grew up in church. Yes. Mm hmm. And so, right, and and you talked about, um, you know, like, really finding God, and we talked a little bit before the episode started about this, but, um, so like, what was the switch for you from God? This is me and you in the back room. We're both taking this to the grave, to being able to reach out. Like, what happened that took you from isolation to reaching out?
2: Hmm. Honestly, the first time when I told Katie. It was after a worship night and I don't know if it was just, I was on fire for the Lord at that time or what, but I just had like a moment of peace and it wasn't anything that anybody said. It was just like, I'm going to do it. And so I just ran with it and I texted Katie. So honestly, the first time I was still so terrified, but I had been battling so much shame for so many years that it was almost like, I would rather like tell my friend, even with the fear that she's no longer going to be my friend anymore after I tell her, than like sit with the shame anymore. And so the first time I, I told her that was kind of where we were at. It was just a moment of peace that I like took and ran. And then the second time I told someone So like I said, Katie and I were at two different schools and we were trying to keep each other accountable, but it's very easy to lie to someone virtually. And I wasn't looking her in the eye. I wasn't having, yep. I wasn't having a conversation with her. And so it was just so easy for both of us to be like, no, I didn't watch porn today, but really we had. And so I felt like I needed someone physically with me. And so I ended up telling my Bible study leader at the time. And that was such a healing experience for me because she was one of the few people who did not struggle with porn. Like she, that stands out to me because everybody else does, (laughs) but she did not have that personal experience, but it was so refreshing because I was so scared. And a lot of people are scared to tell someone if they don't understand, like if they don't have that personal experience, Mm -hmm. But she met me with so much grace and opened up about things that she was going through and was so just like understanding and loving. And it didn't feel weird at all. And so it was just like exactly what I needed at the time was that like someone who was not actually walking through a pornography struggle, but was able to still like connect with me and love me and show me that, that grace in that time. So I feel like every time I've told somebody, it's kind of been a little bit different of a reason, but over the years, the more girls that said me too, and the more I saw that even if they didn't struggle with porn, it led to such a healing conversation for both of us. Like that's what led me to continue to open up about my story with people. So I just grew to love, love, love confession. It's, have you, it's got power. Have you
1: been able to talk to your parents about it? And if so, how did that go?
2: Okay. So <laughs> back in high school, I emailed my mom and I told her that I clicked on a viral link that opened up a bunch of porn websites on my computer. <laughs> and this is my very roundabout way of trying to get her to help, but not actually admitting what I did. Mm-hmm. And She put some sort of filter on my computer or something. I don't even know what she did, but I was too afraid to test it out. Uh, But then I got an iPod touch later and it opened the door again. But that was like my first attempt to tell my mom. Um, And then it wasn't until my senior year of college that I wanted, I I felt like I was ready to take the step to get an accountability software um, to get accountable to you or covenant eyes at the time to get covenant eyes on my computer. But my debit card statement still went back to my parents' house at the time. And I knew they would see it. And my mom would be like, what is this? (laughs) And so I was like, "I, I want this software. I want to take this step, but I also know that I need to at least tell my mom before I do that. And, but I, I chickened out for so long and then I was watching a sermon online of my home church. Like I was at college at this sure. time, but I was watching a sermon. And, and my pastor home is
0: in Virginia.
2: Virginia, yeah,
0: okay.
2: yeah, York Yorktown, Virginia. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, I was watching the sermon, and the pastor. I don't even know what the service was about, but he said, "Like men, if you struggle with pornography," and instead of shutting me down, because at this point I knew that other girls struggled with it, instead of shutting me down, it like lit a fire inside of me. And I was like, so, so kind of angry, but also like, this needs to change. And I just called my mom and I was like, I have to tell you something. And she literally told me afterwards, she was like, I thought you were going to tell me that you were pregnant or into hard drugs. Like this is, I never suspected this. Like I would have guessed anything else before this. And that's been super cool because she has kind of made it her mission now that if she hears an adult or a parent or a church leader like mention or exclude women, like she is able to have that like loving conversation with them and be like, actually, like this is what maybe we should be moving towards. So that's been super cool. And then I haven't actually talked to my dad, but my mom talked to my dad when we started the ministry. So he's cool. <laughs>
0: um. So I'm curious why you haven't talked to him.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I might need to do some processing, <laughs> but
3: we got I was, time.
2: you know, yeah, yeah. Just external processing right here. We, uh, no, I, I told my mom, And I told her I didn't want her to tell my dad. Like, I just wasn't ready. At that point, I was still... I mean, I was more comfortable, but I was still not totally comfortable talking about this with people. Sure. And so just me and my mom, I mean, it's probably similar. Like, a lot of girls have more in-depth relationships and conversations with their moms than their dads. And I have amazing parents. Like, both of them are awesome. They've never... Indicated that if I told them something like this, like they were gonna disown me or something. But in my shame, like I was like, my parents are gonna hate me.
0: Yeah. So, but... are you okay if we go here? Yeah. Okay. Cause so I think this is a narrative that a ton of people have around their shame. So, I want to be curious about it. So, I'm curious about the alignment of my parents are great people. I, you know, I knew they loved me. Everything was great. No trauma experience happened. But there yeah. is not a chance in hell I would ever tell them yeah. the truth about what I am struggling with. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious how those two line up.
2: It, it it's so sad to me thinking about it now, and I think that's one of the most heartbreaking things that shame did was it made me doubt my people, like it made me doubt the people who, in every other scenario, every other moment, not just my parents, but I mean, my best friend, Katie, like we've been best friends forever. She loved me. She loved the Lord. Like all my Bible study leaders had showed me so much love. But when I thought about telling them about my struggle with porn in my brain, I was like, they're going to immediately just flip and like hate me and think I'm disgusting and talk about me or gossip about me or like anything like that. And so it's all shame. It's all a lie. That's oh, never one hundred percent. That's never, yeah, never what happened. Um,
0: so, with that knowing, I want to bring it back to Dad now.
2: Yes, <laughs> yes. So,
0: so I believe <laughs> you. So good. I totally one hundred percent believe you. Cassie does too. She's smiling. So, with that knowing, what's going on between what's the narrative you still have around Dad? How shame yeah. telling the story?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think I'm still, I mean, just being totally vulnerable with our followers. Cause we are so anti shame on the victory collective. And even today, like Katie and I obviously talk about it openly with thousands of people online every day. And we've told, you know, I've, my whole family knows, like my parents know I haven't, like I said, personally talked to my dad, but he knows I wear the victory collective sweatshirt around him, like very much aware but then there are still moments where, you know, like with my dad, like talking to him personally, or if I put on a Victory, uh, Victory Collective sweatshirt and I know I'm going to like get coffee with someone who hasn't heard about the Victory Collective yet, there is still a little bit of shame. I think that's like in my brain. That's like, oh, what if they ask about this? And I have to just logically sit down and be like what if they ask about it like that'd be an awesome opportunity to share with them instead of but there is that like little bit of shame that comes back to the surface that I have to kind of fight and I feel like maybe with my dad that's the case he's also just a very quiet man <laughs> I feel like if I told him when my mom told him we were starting this ministry he was just like cool and that was it
0: <laughs> so well, yeah, so that, that yeah. kind of leads me to the God question. So, um, and I'm sure you've heard this before, right? Uh, what's the shack guy's name? Someone help me out. The guy who wrote the shack. I'm losing tons of brownie points in both recovery and Christian land right now. The dude who wrote the shack, right? He talks about, he has a really strong narrative, Um, w- which I agree with that. You know, we put the face of our earthly father on the face of God. Hmm right like because that's just what we saw where this little kid growing up more like that's what a father is and then we walk into church and people are like the holy father right and so um so i'm curious uh in that kind of like private dialogue that you kind of had of like god you and i are going to do this in secret and uh your dad being a very quiet man to, to quote you back to yourself um do you think how your dad is and is, and I'm not saying he's a bad guy, right. Just, and no one has perfect parents. I think we all know that, but um, do you think his lack of conversation influenced and affected kind of that more open conversation with you and God?
2: I don't know. <laughs> this is, this is real externally processing right now. I don't think so, because I was like very I was very vocal with God about my struggles. Like we talked a lot about it. It's just a matter of me talking with actual human beings about it. That's where I kind of shut down.
0: Mhm mhm. well, and I think uh, as someone who's been very public about my story for a while, um mm-hmm. I think the the closer we are in relationship to people. The, the more that's on the line, right? With that shame. Cause like if some person sends me an email and they're like, Oh yeah. I'm ashamed is stupid. Shut it down. You guys are <laughs> terrible. And you don't know recovery. I'm like, cool bro. Purse for you. Like this, it yep. doesn't matter. Right. But like if one of my siblings says that to me or my pastor or my wife or my, right, like that, that's a lot easier for me to bring in some shame, you know? So that's one yeah, thing. Yeah. It's I so true. About, um, reaching out to where you felt safe first, which, which wasn't mom and dad, wasn't the first stop for you. Right. In your friend, Katie, and in, and, and in your Bible study leader. So I just think that's really yeah. cool of, of how you found that of like, I got to start somewhere where I'm safe. Cause I think so many people struggle with that. Um, yeah, it is. Really-
2: and that's, I mean, this is already, this is already a very convicting podcast, but that we tell people who reach out to us, who are like, do you have anyone who can be my virtual accountability partner? And, or can, you know, can you be my virtual accountability? Like someone asking me and Katie, and we always say no. And we encourage them to talk to somebody who they love in their own lives and who can walk them through this. Because just for that shame aspect, like if I kept you accountable, I don't know you at all. I don't know what you're going through in your own life. I can't walk you through that. And that's like half the battle. It's not just like the habit management of your porn habit,
1: Oh, totally. but
2: it's, yeah, it's actually knowing you and like loving you through all of that. Um, But then also there's that shame aspect of, I think, and I was absolutely like this wanting to avoid telling the people who were closest to you because of what you just said, like, there's so much more to lose if you tell your best friend and she ends up like hating you versus telling a stranger on the internet.
0: Totally. Like,
1: yeah. It doesn't, I, it doesn't
2: break that shame.
1: 100% agree with that. I kind of want to go like back to the God question. Um, How has, how has your relationship with God or how have you like your views of God? How have they changed? Like, like, pre-recovery versus post-recovery like where you are now
2: yeah i i think most of my struggles with porn i was afraid of god i think if i'm being honest that's kind of how i would sum it up i was afraid that he would leave me i was constantly afraid that like if i sinned again like that was it he was just gonna drop me. And that came out a lot in like how I tried to heal as well. And obviously we just talked about shame and like how it convinced me all of my people were going to like, just abandon me if I told them this part of me. And so that's for sure. How I viewed God, I think for a long time now it's weird though, because I, I loved him. And especially throughout college, I was growing so much in my relationship with him. And I was being like intentionally discipled by a spiritual mentor in my life and just growing so much in my understanding of God and what he says about himself and what he says about me. But then there was this other sliver of like, when I watched porn again, when I would relapse, I'd be like, that was it. Like God, God is done with me now. And so I did have to process through that a lot and heal from that. And I think opening up to people, And being met with so much love and grace by the people that I opened up to really helped me learn more about Jesus's grace and that it's not earned. And that if I am fully, like if somebody and if Jesus fully sees me and fully knows my whole story and still loves me, Like that is so powerful. And I just learned that so much more over the years. And I'm now in a place where like, if I do relapse, I know that I'm still loved and I know that I still have the grace of of Jesus. And so I've come from like viewing God as a very condemning God and a very short tempered God to a very loving and gracious God.
0: Yeah. Love that. Um, so the other thing I wanted to ask about, um, and often I just use this podcast, uh, for my own recovery and healing. So, cause this is one that, that I struggle with. So, uh, as well as it's true, everyone laughs at me. Like, I'm like, well, what I'm worthy of learning some things. Um, but so one of the narratives that I've struggled with a lot, and I think a lot of people do is, um, I went from all sexuality is bad. Mm. Society mm-hmm. has given me a narrative of like, oh yeah, yeah, dude, you're an animal, but like, if you're like James Bond, then like you're a cool animal, right? And so there's this, but it's like it's all the same narrative of uh toxic masculinity to be broad, but like, sexuality is about whatever the word toxic, you know conquest or you know getting all your needs or whatever like consuming is the word that i would use um and uh so for the male narrative i have i can wrap my mind you know quite a bit of healing myself around that of like oh no like my sexuality is not bad like and i and i know that's a hard thing for a lot of men and working with men they're like i went to the gym and there was a woman in a sports bra and i just like and i was like i basically relapsed and i'm like no like you can acknowledge like wow that's a beautiful woman good call and uh chris uh the Hulk of hope and his wife always talked about of acknowledging beauty that they'll just do it in public together be like that's a beautiful woman and like yep totally and moving on right and so um i just i'm curious about so the narrative for you as a woman um like they didn't you didn't get toxic masculinity from society right like that's what i got and so i'm curious like What, what was your understanding around what female sexuality is supposed to look like, you know, growing up and kind of getting it all downloaded? And then how did you, how did that bounce with this active porn addiction?
2: Mm -hmm. Um, well, like still talking about toxic masculinity, I feel like I'm just realizing how much porn has made me judge men. So that's kind of a part of it, of how, you know, watching porn, it was both that exciting and rebellious. Like I talked about, like I couldn't stop going back to it, but at the same time, it was like really scary. And the men that I was viewing were just, were ravenous animals. Like that is kind of what it was depicting men as.
3: For sure.
2: And that definitely, that definitely impacted, like even just, I was just talking to a friend about this recently of like. She was saying, well, if I walk into Walmart, even if I'm just wearing pajamas, like men are going to objectify me. And I'm like, that is, that is a narrative that I have had to really work on turning around to, of like holding our brothers in Christ to a way higher standard than what porn has set them at. And so that's part of it. That's for sure something that I've recently started to change my mindset on. But as far as
0: my well, real sexuality. Real quick, I want to insert, and men should about yeah. women too. So that was like the narrative that changed for me, right? Is like, oh, just because this woman wore a sports bra to the gym, it actually doesn't mean that she wants to have an affair.
2: Yes. Turns yeah. out
0: <laughs> she was just That
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> like temperature. Plot hot, twist. Right? Like plot twist. Yeah. Right? Because <laughs> of also, I think I think of the the humanizing of women as well. I, I think it's a two way street. You name, it. so I just want oh, yeah. to, yeah, yeah, yes,
2: yeah, yeah. And then, um, female sexuality. That again, I'm still in the process of learning a bunch of stuff, uh, re relearning a bunch of stuff. But basically, I guess when I was younger, I didn't. I had the sex talk, but my mom is a nurse and it was more anatomical. (laughs) Like, these are your body parts and this is how things work. Mm -hmm. Not, you know, this is why God designed sex and sexuality. Mm -hmm. And so I never really learned that. And then when I started watching porn, I could not fathom how like a loving married couple could have sex when the sex that I was seeing in porn was so toxic and so abusive and distorted. And so I think I had this idea for a long time. Like I knew that married couples had sex and I knew where babies came from. Like I knew all of this, but I, I was like, no, this is just something that happens in porn because there's no way that people are actually doing this because of how just abusive it seemed. And so when I got married, I had to relearn that sex is, is a good thing, that there is a very different, (laughs) a very big difference between the sex that I have been viewing for so many years in pornography and the sex that two people can have in a covenant relationship. Mm -hmm. And so it's been a lot, it's been a lot of relearning. (laughs) It's been exhausting, but really good.
0: Yeah, so tell me, so it sounds like through the growing up years and in college, it was more, because what I've learned with trauma is we have a hyper or a hypo response, right? And so I either shut the whole thing down or I act the freak out, right? Like one of the two. So it sounds like for you, like your sexuality was more of a shut down. Mm -hmm. The learning and change for you been like oh, let me move to a healthy place. With Am I understanding you?
2: Yeah, it's more of like a let me embrace my sexuality and like learn it from um, God's perspective and what he says of it than just like shutting off.
1: I'm really curious to know um, how you have like worked through that with your husband and how, you know, you mentioned earlier like like, Oh, I would never tell my husband even obviously you have, (laughs) but like, how,
2: how has that journey been for you and him? Yeah. Um, so when we were dating pretty early on, um, this was back in 2017 is when we started dating. I told him that I was, struggling with something, but I wasn't quite ready to tell him just at that point, like when we were dating and he ended up telling me first about his struggles with pornography. And I was like, yo, same. And then we ended up having a good conversation about it. And so both of us have had to work individually on our own healing. And it's, it's still a very frequent conversation of ours. Like we know that it's still could at any point be a temptation for us. So like, let's keep it in conversation. Um, But as far as like those sexual narratives that we've been taught because of pornography, well, number one, counseling. Counseling was great. (laughs) Our first year of marriage, um, just definitely, especially for me, like I had a very, uh, not to get, I guess, too detailed, but we're going to go there.
3: We're gonna very
2: go. strong. we're going to go there. Very strong emotional, like negative emotional response to sex. Oh, yeah. And I worked through that in counseling of like, <clears throat> okay, w- why? <laughs> why is this happening? Like, why is this almost like freeze, you know, trauma response happening? Um, and with him just discussing of like, what were our our sex expectations because of porn? And that was just fascinating to hear his perspective and to share my perspective. And we've just had wiser married couples pour into us and we've read some great books and it's been a lot of, a lot of digging deep and a lot of communicating constant communication in order to kind of get where we are today.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Um, And so what, what do you think, and you can just kind of share for you, right? Um, what has been, well, so tell me about sobriety now. What does that look like for you now?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't watched porn since probably 2019. I did not find it effective for myself to like mark some people mark on their calendar, like how many sure. days and stuff yep. like, uh, yep. I did not find that effective. So I stopped doing that a long long time ago. So I don't exactly know when the last time was the last time, but it's been since before, uh, my husband and I were engaged. So I know like 2019, um, and I'm still on, I'm still cautious is kind of where I am in, in sobriety. I still have an accountability software that has been great. And it stopped me from, fallen back into stuff a few times. And like Which I said, I one? keep the conversation. I have accountable to you. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um. So still have that still talk to people about it. Still keep the conversation frequent. And honestly, it's been, the temptation has been less since starting the victory collective and learning more about the actual porn industry. Like since, I'm learning more about it. I definitely feel less tempted than I have in the past. So that's where we're at.
0: Yeah, for sure.
2: Was um
1: 12 steps or therapy like a big part of your recovery, or was it mostly just like building your own community through um oh my gosh, I just spaced the name of it. Church Victory
2: Collective. Victory Collective, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, and church sounds like was a big part of your story. Right. You talked a lot, but yes. Right. Study groups. And yeah.
2: Yeah. Church and my faith. And um, no, I didn't. I was super stubborn and very anti-counseling until recently. So I did not like counseling for me was not a part of my like initial, I guess, freedom from porn,
0: sure.
2: but it has been a huge and very helpful part of my relearning everything that I learned from porn. So yeah.
0: Um, so who was the good counselor's name that you and your husband went to? We do shout outs.
2: Oh, I don't
0: even remember. Busted. When you remember <laughs> later, tell us. Um, but so, <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, that just made me laugh. so <laughs> now we've lost it. We've lost the thing. Now. Um, no. So what I wanted to go back to is, um, so what do you feel like has been the biggest stumbling blocks for you? So just allowing your, like, you know, just for you personally, and I know, I know you've heard a lot of women's stories now and know that. So I know you've seen themes and patterns with people, Um, but for you, what has been the, like the biggest st- stumbling, stumbling blocks as you've been working your recovery? Mm.
2: I've had a lot. Let me think. Okay. Super broad. The biggest one is probably shame. Just letting shame in my brain, letting shame take control of my actions. Um, I have made a lot of excuses when it came to, uh, implementing helpful recovery steps. So especially if it involved having to pay for it, and I think that was a big, like getting accountable to you, getting an accountability software. Um, I think like, obviously I believe that God can set people free from this, but I also think that it's important to take steps <laughs> in order to do that. Um, like put implement practical steps and boundaries and stuff. And when it came to implementing practical steps and boundaries, I would just be like, no, but I need to, I need to learn how to overcome porn without these things. So I'm not going to do, I'm not going to like implement them right now. And then I would just keep watching porn. And so as far as like getting rid of Instagram, I was like, well, one day, if I have Instagram back, I'm going to need to like know how to resist porn with Instagram. So I'm just never going to get rid of it. And that just was unhelpful. And so I made a lot of excuses like that over the years. And I feel like I would have helped myself out a lot sooner if I had just stopped making excuses and just done things.
0: So um, as we're wrapping up the episode here, like what do you want to say to uh, any women in particular, but, and the men, right? Like to anyone who is still, in that top secret agreement with the adversary, the producer of shame, not really God, but that, that agreement with God, you and I are doing this in secret. I'm just going to keep trying harder.
3: Like, like if we had yeah.
0: that woman here in front of you, what would you want to say to her?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I think two of like the most helpful things that, I have been told that that I would want. No, I'm gonna add three. First and foremost, if you're a woman, you're not alone. Like, let's just get that out there. I know that's been repeated a lot now, but you're not alone. Um, I also I think for the longest time I had such a backwards perspective of I need to overcome my shame and overcome my addiction before I tell someone. But that's so backwards. Like we need to tell people in order to overcome the shame. Like that is the antidote to shame is community. And so, um, that was super helpful for me to hear. And it's just, it's so hard for your brain to readjust to that, but just knowing like, I need to tell someone in order to, to overcome the shame. And then also I would want to tell people that they are not burdens That is something that I have also struggled with of feeling like if I bring this problem of mine to somebody, it's going to be a burden to them. But that's not true. Like we just talked about like people love you and they want to help you through this and they're not going to be like, are you kidding me? Like you're coming back to me with that. Like that's, you haven't overcome that yet. Like they're not going to do that. And so Uh, That was another helpful piece of advice that I received was to flip the script and think about if you had a friend come to you and be like, Hey, I am struggling so much with this thing. Like, can you help me with it? Would you feel like they're a burden or would you want to reject them? Or would you feel like annoyed?
0: Yeah. So if that that, that woman (laughs) was here right now, believing she was a burden as the friend, what would you say to her?
2: You're not a burden. (laughs) I would say that you have a burden that like, and thank you for choosing me to bear it with you because that's what we're called to do is bear each other's burdens. And this, that person's not a burden, but they're going through something that's so hard. And so I would just feel super grateful that she chose me to open up to about this. So
0: love that. Um last questions actually, for Cassie, do you own a Victory Collective t-shirt?
1: Not yet.
0: Well, mine's <gasps> getting shipped as of about ten minutes ago. Let so. Hurry <laughs> up. So if we want to learn more about the Victory Collective, where do we find it?
2: We are on Instagram at the underscore victory underscore Collective. And we also have a website where you can buy a sweatshirt. <laughs> um the victory they collective. actually do. Net.
0: It's true. <laughs> Say it again,
2: yes. the victorycollective dot
0: Amanda. so we end every episode with uh, people sharing just, you know, a song. you talked about the worship music with you in that key kind of turning moment. And so, as we end the episode here, a song that is really on your heart represents, you know, a big moment for you in your recovery. That song would be.
2: Um, it's out of hiding by Stephanie Gretzinger.
0: Awesome. So Amanda, thank you so much for being with us and being so open and sharing your story and helping us spread hope. Um, just, yeah, thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to externally process a bunch of stuff.
1: (laughs) You're awesome, Amanda. We've loved it.
0: Cassie, go buy the shirt. Um, Links will be in the show notes for everything. If you want to uh, listen to the uh, bonus content where uh, us and Amanda will be doing definitely some more external processing, um, we invite you to uh, join and help support the movement by going to unashamedunafraid.com slash donate where you can become an outsider. Our outsiders are those who are bold, accepted and unashamed um, and help us carry out and do this movement. We are a 501c3 nonprofit. So all of that money is... uh, is a donation um if you want to follow us on social media um that is at unashamed unafraid give us five stars on itunes that's how the world judges us and people find this and so uh with that uh join us in the bonus content we invite you to continue to be unashamed and we will leave you with out of hiding by stephanie gretzinger
3: come out of hiding you're safe here with me There's no need to cover what I already see. You've got your reasons, but I hold your peace. You've been on lockdown, and I hold the key. Cause I loved you before you knew it was love, and I saw. Still I chose the cross, and you are the one That I was thinking of when I rose from the grave No rear of the shackles, my is yours I told the veil for you to come close There's no reason to stand at a distance anymore You're not far Bye.